This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 107.1 WLIR Hampton Bays. News first at 59 past the hour. 77 WABC News starts now. Good morning. It is Monday, September 18th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Rain this morning. Thunderstorms this afternoon. High 69 tonight and overnight. Clear, low 60. And then Tuesday sunshine. High 75. If you are walking out the door with us right now, it is 64 and raining in Valhalla up in Westchester County. 65 and raining in Freehold down in New Jersey. And it is 65 and misty here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning sitting down on the couch last night. That was a furious comeback by Big Blue. My Giants, Daniel Jones throwing for 321 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, then you had, uh, Graham, uh, Gano connecting on that 34 year old, uh, 34 year, uh, yard field goal with 19 seconds left and they beat the Arizona Cardinals. They were down 21 to nothing at halftime and I was like, oh my God, this might be the most god awful Giants team in history. They had lost, you'll remember, last, uh, Sunday night to the Cowboys, 40 to nothing at home. Now they had gone two more quarters without scoring, but they came back. And they won, and they renewed my faith that I'll continue to sit on the couch and to watch them. Uh, one and one, I'll take that. You had uh, the Giants coach talking about the performance of Daniel Jones. He's the quarterback, if you don't follow football, who had uh, a great day in the end. That was all in the second half. I thought he finished strong, played a really good second half. You know, we had a couple things could have improved on in the first half, talked about those. Uh, but he's a resilient young man. Um, I went out there and played well along with i'd say a, a number of people so i was gone all day and got home just in time to see the giants game i had taken my oldest one back to philadelphia where he goes to college and got home just to watch the game and when they were making that furious comeback the giants they were down uh 21 to uh, 28 to 21 in the fourth quarter and the giants were driving to try and tie the score it was at that moment that my beautiful wife who i love very much sat down next to me i thought oh she's gonna watch this game with me it's a very exciting point but it was that moment she wanted to talk about some troubles that my youngest kid is having in school and i'm like i know that i can't say to her do you see what's going on on the Giants game? I, you know, it's, this is the most exciting moment of the game uh, because you, I would lose and uh, it would not be pretty and that I wouldn't be able to watch the game. So I had to sort of, with one eye, uh, watch the game and the other eye have focused on her like I was very interested in what was going on with my kid. But, of course, I was more interested in what was going on in that moment with the Giants game. So they came back. She finished her story and I was able to watch this thing as the Giants came back, tied the score, then hit a field goal to win this thing. Uh, here's Daniel Jones. Always remain confident and just kind of, you know, getting back to simple execution and, um, you know, trusting it, seeing it, and, and ripping it. We had some opportunities to make plays in the first half. Um, we didn't do it. So Giants win 31-28, to 28, so they're 1-1 one and one as they head to San Francisco to take on the 49ers Thursday night football. Not feeling as confident about that game, but hey, it's another game, and they are 1-1. One and one. 
A big story here in Midtown. We're already hearing some stories of people trying to get to work this morning. The U.N. General Assembly in session today means lots of motorcades, road closures, security, gridlock, over 150 heads of state. Uh, scheduled to attend, among them, of course, uh, President Joe Biden, who is already here. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu apparently is around the corner from us. Uh, they've been the target of protests already here uh, in the city. Uh, the U.N. General Assembly, it's all in person this year. Last year, it was sort of a hybrid of people being uh, still afraid of COVID, working from home, uh, phoning it in on Zoom. This year, that's not the case. It's all in person, so it's going to be bad. NYPD thankfully says no credible or specific threats to the General Assembly, but they lock down the east side every time there's one of these General Assemblies, and that will be no different this year. Our members, along with our dedicated colleagues, are the very best in the business, and our ability to handle security events of this size and scope is second to none. That's Police Commissioner Caban. Uh, Special Agent Patrick Freeney, he's in charge of the Secret Service here in New York and coordinates with the NYPD. He says his guys will, of course, be out in force protecting these leaders from all over the world. The goal of the Secret Service is to provide a secure environment while minimizing any inconveniences. We ask for your patience as increased traffic and additional security protocols can be expected throughout New York City. Yeah, so in other words, stay away from the east side, 42nd Street for sure, where the U.N. is. Uh, lots of other street closures during the course of the day. Talking people already stuck in traffic yesterday into today as they started to close off these streets. It is a stressful time for families in the city because you're just gridlocked. You're locked and it's really busy. Specifically with the U.N., it's a traffic jam log. So we end up sort of taking the subway. We change our plans. We don't do things things after school we don't do things after work we just kind of limit our limit our mobility in the city yes so and then uh Already the protests have begun, and you'll see a number of these, no doubt, all week long. Yesterday, it was a big climate change protest with all these countries here. You have these protesters who are demanding the end of using uh, fossil fuels, tens of thousands of protesters uh, outside 42nd Street, trying to get President Biden and the world leaders' attention about this topic. We can't sit back and, and wait anymore. The fight is already happening. It's now, and we just need more people to join us. So there's this march to end fossil fuels that featured uh, politicians, uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez there yesterday, uh, Susan Sarandon, Ethan Hawke, Ed Norton, Kira Sedgwick, uh, Kevin Bacon, all taking part in this big rally yesterday, head of the U.N. General Assembly, which begins this morning. To be the climate president that we need him to be. So this sends an incredibly clear message. And I also think, especially with all the different people showing up, these are your voters. These are your constituents. I'm going to be voting for the first time in 2024. And one of the interesting things is many of the leaders of the countries that cause the most heat-trapping carbon pollution, they're, they're not even going to be here. So uh, they won't hear this, but uh, uh, you know, that won't stop the protesters. And then President Biden, he will uh, host a whole bunch of leaders and then he'll bring back President Zelensky to the White House on Thursday. This will be their third meeting here at the White House, and it certainly comes at a critical time as Russia desperately seeks help from countries like North Korea for its brutal war in Ukraine. 
Yeah, so the meeting comes as the White House is pushing Congress for additional funding for Ukraine's fight against Russia. WABC News Time 510, down to South Carolina. The military looking for a missing fighter jet, a Marine Corps pilot ejected from an F-35B Lightning II after some sort of mishap yesterday. He landed safely in North Charleston, South Carolina with his parachute. The plane, however, is nowhere to be found. Officials looking in the area north of Joint Base Charleston near Lake Moultrie and Lake Marion. The base is asking anyone who has any information on the possible location of this jet to give them a call. They really have no idea where it could be. These things cost about $80 million apiece, and so far, nobody has any idea where it could be. While we're talking all things plain, let's go down to Brazil. Officials in Brazil say all those aboard a small jet killed when their plane went down in the Amazon over the weekend. The governor of the Amazonas province says the jet crashed Saturday in the jungle near Barcelos, killing all 14 aboard, 12 passengers and two crew members. The governor says the passengers were all Brazilian tourists on a fishing trip. Local reports say the Embraer aircraft had taken off from Manaus, the Amazonas state capital and the biggest city in the Amazon, and was attempting to land the jet in heavy rain when it crashed. The Brazilian Air Force is investigating. I'm Scott Carr. This is day four of the United Auto Worker strikes. Uh, they're holding talks with Ford and GM. That was yesterday. They think those talks will continue today. Union members like this UAW worker in Toledo are striking for better pay, better pension benefits. We need more money. I mean, we've, we've gone years without a raise. You know, we want our fair share. And that's what we're looking for, our fair share. You know, for everybody, not just for me, but... For everybody that works here. Union leaders pushing for what they call a strong and fair contract. President Biden sent two high-level White House officials to help mediate these talks over the weekend. Oh, that's terrible. I mean, we haven't had raises in over probably 13 years. So that's just, that's terrible. Come on. They're getting paid money. They're making raises. They're getting 40%. Why can't we get it? We deserve it. Now, the automakers pushing back over the weekend. You had General Motors CEO Mary Barra says her company offered the United Auto Workers Union what she called a historic contract. She spoke about the strike that began Friday at midnight. The one that's sitting on the table right now uh, really is, is historic. From a uh, from a GM in our 115 year history, the offer reportedly uh, gave workers a 20 percent pay increase, other incentives. She said the subject of job security has been raised by workers she has spoken with, and she says GM is achieving all that because all their vehicles are in high demand right now. Then you had Chrysler's former CEO says President Biden's push for. Electric vehicles is a big reason why the U.S. auto workers are out on the picket line. Bob Nardelli says Biden's EV agenda has the UAW pushing the panic button. This is the same president that is mandating EV, which is going to eliminate union jobs, UAW jobs, and particularly mandating EVs when there's no infrastructure to have them charged. Nardelli says Biden is backing the UAW because he wants their endorsement, of course, ahead of the 2024 White House race. Auto workers again walking off the job on Friday, demanding those higher wages, benefits and job protections. 513, let's go down to Washington. Congress 
Not making much progress in its bid to avoid a possible shutdown at the end of the month, lawmakers must pass several spending bills or a short-term funding measure that's known as a continuing resolution. They'd have to do that by September 30th. Of course, today's the 18th. Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy facing fierce opposition on both options this week from hardline conservatives. But he says the talks to avoid a government shutdown are looking brighter today. I feel we made some good progress this weekend. You know, when Republicans took the majority, we wanted to change Washington. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says President Biden will get what he wants if members of the GOP caucus try to remove him from leadership, which has been the talk over the weekend as well. That, if you did a motion to vacate, you would have to a handful of Republicans work with Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, Ihan Omar to remove the speaker. And it would be exactly what the president wants. The California Republicans as ousting him would shut down the House, stop the impeachment inquiry into Biden. McCarthy also brought up how it took him to secure the speaker's gavel in January. He was only elected after an historic 15th ballot, as you remember. Uh, some Republicans speaking out about this battle to push him out. One of them is uh, sit-in friend's friend uh, Nancy Mace, the South Carolina Republican, says she wouldn't rule out supporting a motion to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. I've worked on issues, you know, related to gun violence I feel are very important. And, you know, it's fallen on deaf ears. And if I if I give a handshake to someone, I expect them to follow through with Mace declined to say how she would vote, but said votes would be up for grabs because promises were not kept. And then you have the House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, Democrats, says House Republicans are in a battle, she says, that are hurting hardworking taxpayers. House Republicans are in the middle of a civil war. The civil war has the following attributes, chaos, dysfunction, and extremism. The House Republican civil war is hurting hardworking American taxpayers and limiting our ability to be able to solve problems on their behalf. No doubt it'll be interesting to see how Republicans sort this all out over the coming days. 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Happy Monday. Good morning, Justin Ellis. Happy Monday. Good morning to you, Noam Layden. Week two of the NFL season surely brought the fireworks for Giants fans with the G-Men overcoming a 21-point deficit in the second half to beat the Cardinals by a score of 31-28 to in Arizona yesterday after playing historically bad football for their opening six quarters of the season. Daniel Jones and the Giants decided to finally start executing in a big way. Jones threw for 320 yards and two touchdowns. Saquon Barkley found the end zone twice before exiting the game due to injury. But it was wideout Isaiah Hodgins with the big game-tying catch before Graham Gano and his right foot sealed the deal with a late field goal for New York. Here's what the magic sounded like, courtesy of Fox Sports. Jones throws, end zone shot! It's caught by Hodgins for the touchdown! That comeback is the biggest for the Giants since a 21-point rally in 1949, also against the Cardinals. Regarding the injury to Barkley, I know everybody's wondering about that. Head coach Brian Dable said following the game he wasn't sure on the extent of his injury, but the Giants are hopeful it's just a minor ankle sprain. Barkley will undergo an MRI at some point today to confirm that diagnosis. As for the Jets, things got much worse for them. Their first full contest with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. 
losing 30-10 to in their Week 2 matchup in Dallas against the Cowboys. Four second-half turnovers, including three interceptions from quarterback Zach Wilson. Left little doubt in Dallas, which had the ball for more than 42 minutes and ran 83 plays. Oh, my God, 42 minutes possession time? Yep. (laughs) They ran 83 plays. The Jets ran 46. Wow. So are the Cowboys that good or the Jets and Giants that bad now that they've beaten both teams pretty soundly? Well, listen, I don't think the Giants were uh, were the same team that second half last night that they were in week one and then uh, the first half of, uh, of yesterday afternoon's game either. So hmm. uh, I think uh, the next time that the Giants meet the Cowboys, you might see a much different outcome. We'll see, though. We shall see. We don't know if Dallas is that good yet. They haven't really... Uh, played a uh, formidable opponent just yet, but we'll see. Here was head coach Robert Sala, though, on his quarterback, Zach Wilson's performance. No. I thought he did a really nice job. He, he hit a, uh, that stri- the, the uh, strike route to um, Garrett for that big <laughs> what touchdown. What game was he watching? He did a really yeah, nice exactly. job at the end of half. Uh, <laughs> he played really well. Chains, getting some points. Yeah, really um, well. It just, uh, like I said, it, uh, that team, when you have to get into a drop-back game with those guys consistently, it's not its not going to be pretty. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, his, uh, his, his play itself won't keep his confidence up. So I guess it can't hurt if the head coach is going to get behind him, right? No, look, that's what you want your coach to say, but it just, it's just watching a different game than we all are. 100%. 100%. We'll get a double dose of Monday Night Football tonight, now with the New Orleans Saints and Panthers meeting in Carolina at 7.15 p.m. Eastern time before the Cleveland Browns and Steelers clash in Pittsburgh at 8.15 the Saints are three-point favorites in Game 1, while the Browns are two-and-a-half-point uh, point favorites, I should say, in Game 2. Quickly on the diamond, the Yankees fall. Pittsburgh to the Pirates, 32 and the Mets pull out an 8-4 to victory at home against the Cincinnati Reds. That's sports on 77 WABC Nome, and I'm Justin Ellick. Right around 129. WABC News Time 521, Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert issuing an apology now after she was ushered out of that Broadway production of Beetlejuice last week in Denver. The GOP representative was kicked out following disruptive and inappropriate behavior. She originally denied any wrongdoing, saying she was removed for being too enthusiastic. However, footage was later released showing her vaping, taking pictures during the performance, and her and a male companion fondling one another. Bobert said on social media there was no perfect blueprint for going through a public divorce and that she fell short of her values. I'm Chris Caraggio. All right, let's uh, go out to the campaign trail 2024 race for the White House. Former President Trump sitting down with NBC's uh, Kristen Walker from um, uh, Meet the Press. Uh, asked a bunch of questions. Uh, one of them was, would he seek a third term if he wins re-election? Anybody that says they need eight years, you don't want that person. Trump was asked by uh, the MB- NBC News if there was any scenario where he would seek a third term in office, which, of course, is barred by the Constitution. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, other GOP rivals, have bashed Trump, saying there's only so many things he can do since he's limited to just one term in office if he wins, of course, just four years. In six months? to a year, many of the problems, almost all of the problems that you and I have just spoken about will be solved. And uh, he was asked, of course, about all these indictments, all four and all, former President Trump saying it's very unlikely he'd pardon himself if he's elected in 2024. Well, I think it's very unlikely. What, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. You mean because I challenged an election? They want to put me in jail? The former president's been indicted four times this year, twice in federal court, twice in state court. I could have pardoned myself. Do you know what? I was given an option to pardon myself. I could have pardoned myself when I left. People said, would you like to pardon yourself? I had a couple of attorneys that said, you can do it if you want. Uh, I had some people that said it would look bad if you do it because I think it would look terrible. 
and the former president blasting DOJ special counsel Jack Smith after he requested a partial gag order in Trump's trial related to overturning the 2020 election. This was Trump on the campaign trail over the weekend. Because in a true sense, I'm being indicted for you. Thanks a lot, everybody. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. During a speech, Trump called Smith deranged, says he wants to take away his right of speaking freely and openly. 523. A recently discovered letter shows that Pope Pius XII knew details of the Nazis' plans to exterminate Jews as early as 1942. The letter dated December of 1942 was written by a Jesuit priest who was in Germany's anti-Nazi resistance and addressed to the Pope's personal assistant. In the letter, the priest writes, sources had confirmed that about 6,000 Poles and Jews were being killed in what he called SS furnaces every day at a camp in German-occupied Poland. Critics of Pope Pius XII have long accused the wartime pope of lacking the courage to speak out on information he had, despite pleas from allied leaders fighting Germany. I'm Scott Carr. Some updated numbers from Hawaii. Hawaii officials now say fewer people died in that Maui wildfire than was initially reported. A wildfire swept through the town of Lahaina last month, and the official death toll was set at 115. On Friday, Governor Josh Green said the death toll had been revised downward to 97. Green said as more missing persons reports are investigated in the coming weeks, the numbers might change again. I'm Dina Kodiak. WABC News Time 524. College players across the country trying to figure out how they can make cash. The Dartmouth College men's basketball team, they're actually looking to unionize now. The team's 15 players filed a petition Wednesday with the National Labor Relations Board to join Local 560 of the Service Employees International Union. If successful, the players would then be considered university employees and would be able to collectively bargain for salaries. I'm Trey Thomas. Two big entertainment stories over the weekend. Drew Barrymore said she was going to restart her talk show. This was amid the writers and actors strike. And uh, she got a lot of blowback from both those unions as so much so that she says she's not going to bring her TV show back. And then the other huge story, this was out of the U.K., comedian Russell Brand denying allegations of sexual assault. And it's all pretty ugly. The U.K. Times conducted a year-long investigation and published stories from five women who claimed the actor abused or sexually assaulted them. Brand released a video before the articles were published, saying that he refutes all allegations against him. I feel like I'm being attacked, and plainly they are working very closely together. We are obviously going to look into this matter because it's very, very serious. He also suggested he was being targeted by the mainstream media because of his conservative political views. I'm Liz Radabali for WABC News. The Nun 2 that took the top spot weekend box office, but it was definitely a close race. The Warner Brothers thriller brought in $14.7 million, while Disney's new murder mystery, A Haunting in Venice, earned $14.5 million in its second place finish. The opening bell, it rings this morning on Wall Street after a lower close on Friday as the day wound down. The Dow lost 
288 points. The S&P 500 fell 54. The Nasdaq down 217 points. Investors this week going to keep an eye out for the Fed's policy decision on interest rates. That's set to come out on Wednesday. Ahead of that, we'll get a reading today on the Home Builder Confidence Index followed the next day by data on housing starts in building permits. Thursday brings the existing home sales report along with the weekly jobless claims. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Monday, September 18th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Rain this morning, thunderstorms this afternoon, the high 69. Tonight, no Overnight clear, low 60, and then Tuesday sunshine, high 75. If you are walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 64 and raining in Valhalla up in Westchester County. 65 and raining in Freehold down in New Jersey. And it is 65 and raining here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hours, Sid and friends in the morning. We'll start this half hour right here in the city. And a story that took place on Friday. A one-year-old boy died, three other hospitalized, after they ingested fentanyl at a daycare center in the Bronx Friday afternoon. Here's what it sounded like. The owner of the, the daycare was screaming for help. I turned a corner and I see one of the kids like laying down unresponsive and then this uh, the second lady came out with one of the kids and he wasn't also responding first responders racing to the Davino Nino daycare center Morris Avenue where these kids became ill they had eaten something then taken a nap and they weren't able to wake them up after taking the nap a couple of the kids were given narcan which is given to drug addicts who fall asleep and stop breathing all four were rushed to area hospitals the one-year-old boy declared dead uh, one mom who raced to the scene was shocked to see the cop cars and ambulances surrounding the daycare center that's supposed to be taking care of her kid. I'm expecting you to watch my kid at all times because at that point, at that at that moment, these are your kids. They they my kids. But they're your kids because they under your watch. So there was an investigation all weekend long to figure out what took place. Apparently, there was all kinds of drug paraphernalia inside a closet inside this daycare center. There was also drug paraphernalia found in the owner of the daycare center's brother's bedroom, which apparently he shared with the family. is a complicated story. These are nice people. Something bad happened. I don't know. I did see one of the parents come and she was like in tears. It's just absolutely um, crazy and absolutely absurd. The NYPD racing in, uh, doing an investigation, trying to figure out all the details of what took place. How could kids get their hands on uh, drugs that would kill all them. three children were unresponsive and demonstrating symptoms of opioid exposure narcan was administered to all three of these children in an attempt to save their lives the nypd executed a search warrant at this daycare center where we discovered a kilo press this is this is an item that is commonly used by drug dealers when packaging large quantities of drugs so the question is did the owner know that it was there she claims that she did not she did not know that her brother-in-law was running some sort of drug outfit partially 
out of the daycare center where she was taking care of these kids. It wasn't a big daycare center, like eight or ten kids, something like this that. This is an active criminal investigation. Mayor Adams uh, weighing in on this, too. He raced up to the scene on Saturday holding a press conference. Uh, this is an active investigation, and we are going to find out the cause of this incident. So there are three people that have been arrested. Uh, there is Carlisto Acevedo Brito and Gree Menendez. Gree Menendez is the one who owns the daycare center. Her husband, he's missing. So there's lots of thought that maybe he knew what was going on. Maybe she did not. Police are not really 100% sure. Uh, Gree Menendez's lawyer, he spoke out over the weekend yesterday. And uh, he was asked, uh, do you think your client knew what was going on or was it all her husband and his brother who were running a drug operation out of a daycare center, which is just outrageous? She had no idea about what was in the closet. She called the cops. Would you call the cops if you know that there's fentanyl in your apartment? Where is her husband? Is he on the run? No comment. Yes, yeah, so, so far they have not caught up with them as of 5.36 this morning. But uh, the tragic part, of course, of this story, a one-year-old dead, three others sent to the hospital from fentanyl, po- fentanyl poisoning, somehow ingesting it before taking a nap on Friday at that daycare center in the Bronx. WABC News Time 538. This is fun to think about as you're about to get on the subway. Some of you police recovering a loaded semi-automatic weapon from inside a subway station in Brooklyn over the weekend. It was a 19-year-old. He had the weapon in his backpack at a stop in Cypress Hills. Police arrested that teen, thankfully, who already has one arrest for assault. Let's go out to Long Island. Nassau County police over the weekend responding to Temple Beth Am. That's in Merrick. This was early yesterday morning. They were emailed a bomb threat. This weekend was the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah. The temple says officers used bomb-sniffing dogs and special machinery to check closed receptacles. Uh, in the email, the sender said they placed multiple bombs inside the synagogue. The email also had a Western Pennsylvania area code with instructions for the temple to call that number. The threat, of course, coming amid the high holidays. The rabbi there, Mickey Baum, and congregants, uh, it's funny that his name is Baum and there was a bomb, ironic, says that the temple would pray for the person who sent the bomb, but uh, they also would pray for people who struggle with hate, and they're thankful that the police came in to make sure everything was okay at the synagogue before they began to pray yesterday. We will not be deterred by these kind of threats. Our service went on as normal. And people came here. We prayed in safety just as anyone else would want to. And we're very proud of our congregants. We're proud of the people in our community who came by to see what was going on, our non-Jewish neighbors who supported us. That service going off without a hitch. 540, while we're on on Long Island, a possible road rage incident on the LIE under investigation. This was midnight Sunday. Somebody fired shots at another car, Route 32, Bayside, the victim's car moving too slowly. That's when the shooter drove around the vehicle to pass him and then fired his gun at the car and then sped off. The driver tried to go after the guy, but then turned around, got to a service road and then called 911. So far, they have not caught up with the driver who fired the shots. The person who was shot at, thankfully, was not hit and is okay. 541, let's bring it back here into the city. Hillary Clinton has now been pushing the White House to do more to help New York City manage this migrant crisis. A spokesperson for 
Clinton confirming over the weekend her involvement. That as on Friday, several New York Congress people, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, were shouted down as they toured migrant shelters here. There is consensus here across geography and states on increased federal resources to cities and municipalities dealing with this issue. Yeah, so it got ugly there. That as City Hall has now said over the weekend that it signed a deal with the federal government to use Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn to shelter migrant men. That's where Curtis Lewa and Sid Rosenberg were on Thursday. They held that huge protest there trying the to, to stop the tent city from going up. But now word is the deal signed and that tent city will be built. The worst possible choice in the worst possible location. Those have stopped working for the residents of the city and have put their priorities uh, in the hands of those who have come across our border in violation of our law. Now, this mega migrant tent city could house as many as 2,000 people at Floyd Bennett Field. As we're talking about migrants, a migrant at a midtown shelter stabbed by his girlfriend and another man in a possible love triangle fight. The violence broke out at the Roosevelt Hotel. Sources say the victim was upset about finding a photo of his girlfriend on the other man's phone. Police did make arrests. The man stabbed. He's going to be okay. Meanwhile, New York City's migrant problem is all also now New Jersey's problem. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is calling on federal lawmakers for comprehensive immigration reform. It's not that hard, but you'd never, never believe that looking at it from the outside. Murphy says new arrivals in New York City have swelled into the Garden State. The governor says immigration policy should include securing the U.S.-Mexico border and a pathway to status for the roughly 20 million people already in the United States. He also called for a legal, responsible, job-oriented immigration system. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. WABC News Time 543. Lawmakers in New Jersey calling on the federal government to speed up a New Jersey transit expansion project. New Jersey Congressman Josh Gottheimer says NJ Transit has been working to expand the Bergen-Hudson light rail for 15 years. The administration in Washington claims to want more mass transit. I know I've worked with them on it. But these recent actions they've taken on this project make no sense. The congressman says an in-depth environmental impact study submitted in 2018 was recently rejected by the federal government, but he says there's a double standard at play here. Since federal regulators already approved New York City's congestion pricing plan with what he calls a weaker environmental study. James Flippin for 77 WABC News. WABC News Time 544, Manhattan's fanciest drugstore. It's located in a Trump building in the financial district. It's going to close its doors. The owners of the Duane Reed, which is at 40 Wall, say the streets are still kind of empty there post-pandemic. And they have the huge issue with shoplifters, too. So this store that's just been there forever, it's going to close on October 9th. Over to New Jersey, the See Here Now Festival. That's the big rock, the big music festival takes place every year in Asbury Park. It went off without a hitch, apparently, and they had great weather for it as well. Um, part of this festival is they have a surfing contest. Now, Hurricane Lee, that was far offshore over the weekend, but it was making for just fantastic waves for surfers. And so the people who uh, attended this surfing contest on the beach in Asbury Park said it was amazing to watch these guys out in the water catching waves. Uh, big waves today, real big, about a half dozen or so competitors, uh, 
getting long, long rides. It was very exciting to watch. Uh, some twists in the air. It looks like they were having a real good time. But definitely for professionals only. No amateurs out there. Yeah, lots of big names at this music festival. Uh, the Killers, uh, Cheryl Crow. I'm sure I'm leaving out a ton of other bands, but those were some of the highlights. 5.45, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk, where we find Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Alayden. Week 2 of the NFL season, surely bringing the fireworks for Giants fans with the G-Men, overcoming a 21-point deficit in second half to beat the Cardinals by a score of 31-28 in Arizona yesterday. After playing historically bad football for their opening six quarters of the season, Daniel Jones and the Giants decided to finally start executing and in a big way. Jones threw for 320 yards. 21 yards, I should say, in two touchdowns. Saquon Barkley found the end zone twice before exiting the game due to injury, but it was wide out Isaiah Hodgins with the big game-tying catch before Graham Gano and his right foot sealed the deal with a late field goal for New York. Here's what that magic sounded like, courtesy of Fox Sports. Jones throws, end zone shot! It's caught by Hodgins for the touchdown! They're an extra point away from coming all the way back. Jamie Gillen. Good hold, and the kick is through. The Giants have come all the way back for their first lead of the season. The comeback for the G-Men is the biggest for them since a 21-point rally in 1949, also against the Cardinals there. Regarding the injury to Barkley, head coach Brian Debel said following the game he wasn't sure on the extent of his injury, but the Giants are hopeful it's just a minor ankle sprain. Barkley will undergo an MRI at some point today to confirm that diagnosis. As for the Jets, things got much worse for them in their first full contest without Aaron Rodgers at the helm, losing 30-10 to in their Week 2 matchup in Dallas against the Cowboys. Four second-half turnovers, including three interceptions from quarterback Zach Wilson left little doubt in Dallas, which had the ball for more than 42 minutes and ran 83 plays to the Jets' 46. Yes. One point about the uh, Barkley injury you're leaving out. What about The reason it? why a sprained ankle may be bad mm-hmm. is because the Giants play again in three days. Yeah. They're the Thursday night game against the undefeated 49ers who are going to kill the Giants. Mm-hmm. So Barkley doesn't have six days to rest his ankle. They need him for Thursday night. I don't know if they're going to. Make gonna... sure you make that point the rest of the morning. Will do. I don't know if they're going to get him for Thursday night. Thank you, Sidney Rosenberg, popping in there for a They got set. Daniel Jones. He's a pretty good running back. Yeah, that, that's true. Gnome, good point. From down down, no, I'm late. But uh, Robert Sala, he had this to say about Zach Wilson's performance following he yesterday's game. Nice job. He, he hit a uh, that stri- the, the uh, strike route to um, Garrett for that big touchdown. I thought he did a really nice job at the end of half, uh, mm-hmm. moving the chains, getting some sure points. Um, yep. It just, uh, like I said, it, uh, that team, when you have to get into a drop-back game with those guys consistently, it's not its not going to be pretty. Not going to be pretty, indeed. We're going to double dose of Monday Night Football tonight with the New Orleans Saints and Panthers meeting in Carolina at 7.15 p.m. Eastern time before the Cleveland Browns and Steelers clash in Pittsburgh at 8.15. The Saints are three-point favorites in Game 1, while the Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites in Game 2 tonight. On the diamond, quickly, the Yanks, they fall in Pittsburgh 3-2. to two. And the Mets pull out an 8-4 victory at home against the Cincinnati Reds. And that's sports on 77 day, uh, WABC Nome. I'm Justin Ellick. All right, let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. The U.N. General Assembly will be in session today. It means lots of motorcades, road closures, security gridlock. Over 150 heads of state scheduled to attend. Among them, President Joe Biden, Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu, who has been the target of months of protests over changes to the Israeli judiciary. It's all in person this year, and the last year was sort of a hybrid of 
of remote and in-person for the GA. This year, everybody's here. The NYPD says no specific or credible threats to the GA so far. Thank God. They uh, talked about precautions that are going to be put in place and have already been put in place. Here's Police Commissioner Caban. Our members, along with our dedicated colleagues, are the very best in the business. And our ability to handle security events of this size and scope is second to none. Uh, if you're coming to the east side, uh, already the security detail some uh, in some places is already out. Some closed roads already. Special Agent Patrick Freeney, he's in charge of the Secret Service here in the city, the field office, which coordinates with the NYPD to protect these leaders from around the world. The goal of the Secret Service is to provide a secure environment while minimizing any inconveniences. We ask for your patience as increased traffic and additional security protocols can be expected throughout New York City. And as Joe Nolan's been telling you, you might want to stay away from all the way like the high 30s to 60s uh, on the east side because it's just going to be a nightmare to try to get around. People who live in this area, they say, all right, you know, it happens once a year. We kind of get used to it. We make a plan. It is a stressful time for families in the city because you're just gridlocked. You're locked and it's really busy. Specifically with the UN, it's a traffic jam log. So we end up sort of taking the subway. We change our plans. We don't do things after school. We don't do things after work. We just kind of limit our limit our mobility in the city. No doubt there'll be lots of people who will decide to work remote this week. And with the UN General Assembly becomes uh, comes these protests, uh, one after another. They'll happen all week long, some bigger than others. Yesterday was one for climate against climate change. Um, they want to curb climate change, primarily caused, they say, by coal, oil and natural gas. This was a big one. Tens of thousands of people marching yesterday. We can't sit back and, and wait anymore. The fight is already happening. It's now. And we just need more people to join us. It was called the March to End Fossil Fuels, uh, featured a bunch of politicians. Uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was there. Uh, Susan Sarandon, the actress, Ethan Hawke, Ed Norton, uh, Norton Kira uh, Cedric, Kira Cedric, rather, and Kevin Bacon. Uh, so, but the real action was on Broadway with these protesters. He's the climate president that we need him to be. So this sends an incredibly clear message. And I also think, especially with all the different people showing up, these are your voters. These are your constituents. I'm going to be voting for the first time in 2024. Interesting part, the sideline of the story is many of the leaders of the countries that cause the most heat-trapping carbon pollution are not going to be at the General Assembly this week. And President Biden will host a slew of world leaders while he is here, but he'll bring back a Ukrainian President Zelensky to the White House on Thursday when he returns. This will be their third meeting here at the White House, and it certainly comes at a critical time. As Russia desperately seeks help from countries like North Korea for its brutal war in Ukraine. That's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. The meeting comes as the White House is pushing Congress for additional funding for Ukraine's fight against Russia. Strange story out of South Carolina that we continue to follow. And I'm just checking to make sure that they haven't found this yet. But the military looking for a missing fighter jet, a Marine Corps pilot ejected from an F-35B Lightning II after a mishap yesterday. Uh, he landed safely in North Charleston, South Carolina with his parachute. The plane, however, is nowhere to be found. Officials looking in the area north of Joint Base Charleston, that's near Lake Moultrie and Lake Marion, the pace asking 
uh, they put out this public comment saying, hey, if you've seen the jet, give us a call. Uh, so far, uh, nobody has given them a call. That jet worth about well, about $80 million. So they really want to find it so far. They've been unable to do so. United Auto Workers, this is day four of their strike. Uh, they have been in talks over the weekend with Ford and GM trying to hash this thing out. Here's a UAW worker in Toledo who says he'll be back on the picket line this morning. We need more money. I mean, we, we've gone years without a raise. You know, we want our fair share. And that's what we're looking for, our fair share. You know, for everybody, not just for me, but for everybody that works here. So they want uh, better pay. They want more job security. Oh, that's terrible. I mean, we haven't had raises in over probably 13 years. So that's just, that's terrible. Come on. They're getting paid money. They're making raises. They're getting 40%. Why can't we get it? We deserve it. General Motors CEO Mary Barra speaking out over the weekend says her company's offered United Auto Workers what she calls a historic contract. Barra spoke about the strike that began Friday at midnight. The one that's sitting on the table right now uh, really is, is historic from a, uh, from a GM in our 115-year history. Yeah, so she says the contract on the table right now, 20% pay hike and the protection she said they need, these workers need. She said part of those protections is the company's doing so well selling cars that she says those workers don't have to worry about keeping their jobs. It's going to cost more to park on the streets of the big city. In October, parking meters are going to go up 20% everywhere and 25% in the city's busiest traffic spots. The extra cash that's collected goes to the city's general fund. That's as a story comes out that drivers who park in midtown Manhattan garages uh, have to bring with them trunks full of cash to pay for those spots. The cheapest spot, the most expensive neighborhood to park your car in in the country is the Upper East Side, right where we are, where the 77 WABC is. The cheapest uh, monthly spot on the Upper East Side is $443.51. I'd love to know where that spot is. Uh, more likely, if you are on the Upper East Side paying for a parking spot, you're paying around seven or eight hundred dollars a month for that parking spot. I can only imagine how that story goes over if you live in somewhere else way out of New York City to think someone would pay eight hundred dollars a month for a spot. Many people who do, by the way, say they do so for the convenience of not having to circle the block eight hundred times to find a spot on the street. And they say that reason it's worth Paying seven eight hundred dollars a month for a spot, but no surprise, Upper East Side most expensive parking in the country.